Hey guys, this is Joe. Smile, you son of a bitch. Hey guys, it's Eric. Farewell and adieu to you fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu to you ladies of Spain. For we've received orders to sail back to Boston. And so never more shall we see you again. Joe was laughing the whole time. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill a mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus. You're going to need a bigger boat. From the best-selling novel, Jaws, rated PG, maybe too intense for younger children. You're listening to Worth the Lay the podcast where two former video rental clerks watch movies that they may have recommended at one time, see if they still think the film would be worth keeping an extra day or two to watch again, even if it meant paying a late fee. How you doing, how you doing Joe? Did you not like my, my Eric, that, was a, that was a ballsy opening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, dude, I love that part of the movie, so. He's so good, man. He's a psychopath, but he's... He really yeah. is. <laughs> so how's it going? Before we get into the movie, how's it going? No, not too bad. Not a whole lot has happened since we uh, last talked about like a couple days ago for Back to the Future. Yeah, Joe, we talked about it last episode, I think, but Joe's had IT problems, which at first was a good thing because we were, we were able to record a bunch of episodes but not publish them. So at first it was like, oh, this is great. We'll have, um, we'll have all these episodes banked up and we can kind of just take our time, which was working. But then we had two movies that we wanted to get off for specific dates. Last episode, Back to the Future, which hopefully when you're listening to this, we got it out on July 3rd for my birthday and the 35th uh, anniversary of its release. And then today's episode, which we'll get into in a little bit, but we're doing in case you couldn't tell by the quotes at the beginning, we're doing Jaws, which Joe wanted to get out for the 4th, that was for July 4th, because it's a very summer movie. So um, Joe's been working hard, and I have not, but um, he says it looks like... You, you gave me, you, you supplied me with the beer today, though, so that's good. I did. I did. I should send you a picture of my beer fridge. This podcast has turned me into... The thing is, I don't even drink a lot. Like, I, I have... We record... Say we do two episodes a week. So I'll do a beer for each episode of that. And then maybe I do one or two more. So on a crazy week, I have like four beers. But the thing is like tonight or today, I went to downtown liquor and wine or whatever it's called with, uh, with uh, my buddy Sunil. He's the man, the guy that owns that store. And I bought the Narragansett, which we're drinking, which we have, I have a few beers that we tied into this podcast. I guess we can get into that now. Um, so whenever you're drinking, whenever you're watching Jaws, then the number one beer that you have to tie to is Narragansett because that's what uh, uh, Quint's drinking when during the town meeting when he crushes the can and it's like a very famous thing. And um, so that's number one. We have those. Is that what you're drinking, Joe? Yep, that's what I'm drinking. That's what I'm drinking too. And with dinner, so just before we started the podcast, I drank um, this and I'm, we're going to put the stuff up online, but uh, – you could not walk by this beer in a store and not not yeah, want to buy it for Jaws. The beer is called Night Swimmer 
and I'm not saying that because I'm from Massachusetts. That's how it's like spelled out. And it's from Revival Brewing Co. And it's uh, it's like a Belgian ale with raspberry with traces of raspberry. That's my beer connoisseur explanation. It's very good. So I had that, the Narragansett. Um, we also have another beer called Jumping the Shark. Um, that that's more of a that we'll, we'll probably save that for like Jaws three or something where it's more tied to to jump in the shark. Uh, are we, are we, are we doing Jaws three? <laughs> no, no, hopefully not. <laughs> but um, yeah. So I don't know how I got on that that tangent, but well, um, it's funny you you mentioned drinking this other shark themed beer for dinner. I yeah. had fish for dinner, so I was like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna keep on theme here. Keep on theme. Yeah, no, the gas it though. It's, it's I don't know what it is. It's like it's I don't drink a lot of beer either, but it's just so easy to drink. It's like almost like it's like a Budweiser Bud Light type beer. So it's like it's, it's super easy to go down for me. I drink a lot of beer. I just don't like when I was younger. I would like I would go out and have like f- my drinking a lot would be I would drink like ten beers a week, but it would be like I go out on Friday, have five beers, go out on Saturday, have five beers. Now it's I'm now more likely to just have a beer with dinner or a beer with whatever. So I just don't like drink, drink. And I, and I drink more, you know, I drink, I drink way better beers, honestly. Yeah. Um, so for, for those who can't see, Eric is currently rocking out his Narragansett shirt yep. right now. So I have, I have a Narragansett t-shirt. <laughs> I have a Narragansett um, koozie and a Narragansett pint glass. All things I won at a raffle at Chunky's, which Joe and I will get into. It's a movie theater. If you're in like the, well, not no, I guess not Massachusetts anymore, but uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts area, um, where la- we Joe and I go and see this movie every year at Chunkies. We didn't do it this year just because of everything that's going on, but um, and I won a raffle there last year, so that was that was pretty sweet. So, um, so were, they I actually, don't even... were they actually open? Because I know AMC, yeah, like regular, like actually closed still. Was Chunkies open? Okay, yeah, I, I, no, I, Chunkies oh, wow. is open. They they're actually still they're actually starting their twenty one plus showings of Jaws t- today. So oh, okay. it's still showing at, in at Chunky's um, for like for a few more days. But so in case you couldn't tell, I don't know if we've actually said it yet. Today we're going to be, it's Joe's pick. We're going to be watching. We watched and we're going to be talking about the movie Jaws. So all time classic. Obviously, that's not even an opinion. That's a that's a fact. Yeah. Um, and like I said, we're drinking Narragansetts. I already had my night swimmer Belgian wheat ale from Revival. But right now, Joe and I are both drinking Narragansetts. Um, why did you pick this movie, Joe? The movie that made the shark public enemy number one of the ocean. Um, I don't know. I, we, we, like, just like you said, we watch this movie every year. I watch it multiple times a year. I watch it usually when we go to the theater. And uh, right towards once the summer's ending, I kind of usually pop it one more time. But yeah, we go, we go to Chunky's every single year. And it's awesome because we see, it, we see this movie with an audience. And they always have these retro narragansett cans that they pass out along with the movie yep. so which i actually have a, i have one and so is eric and i'll be posting that with this movie i believe on instagram yep. super cool and they they everyone is ready for it when quint squeezes the can the entire theater does it does it along with him and it's just a fun interactive experience i'm really that bummed is... that we no go ahead go ahead no no, I was, no no i was just gonna say really bummed out we can't be there this year me too. And, and that is the best thing about seeing this movie or any of those um, like throwback movies at Chunkies is you're seeing a movie that you love with other people that love it. Like, you know, I probably go to under normal circumstances, I probably go to six of those a year. And whether it's like 
Top Gun or Back to the Future or, or Jaws, it's not like when you go to the movies normally and there's a few people, there's half the people are there just because they were going on a date, they needed somewhere to go. Half the people or a quarter of the people are going to see it and not like it. Some of the people will see it. It's like when you go to these throwback shows at Chunkies, everyone waits all year for these shows and it's they're so, well, so yeah. excited. And, yeah. they, you know, so. And, and, and Chunkies, Chunkies is great because they, you would think like, you know, it'd be nice if they had like a Blu-ray to put up or like, you know, a 4K movie maybe, but no, they pop up the DVD version, man. You oh, like, yeah. we watch, we watch the DVD, we get the menu, we get the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, you don't, you don't know anyone, but you really feel like you're watching one of your favorite movies with all of your friends. Cause like everyone's on the same page. And, and like you said, this movie to me, like this movie is summer to me. And I know that's why you wanted to get this out for July 4th if possible, but especially in new England, I think, but all across the country jaws is, is one of the most summer movies that, that you can, you can find and it's obviously super successful do you have i know i have some stats as far as the financial success of the film goes but do you have any yeah i just have the basic stuff like the so it was released on june 20th 1975 uh had a budget i love this had a budget of nine million and made 470.7 million in the box office it was written by peter benchley and carl gottlieb and directed by a little independent director named steven spielberg and I actually meant to, to write it down because um, I, I read it somewhere. I think Steven Spielberg, when he made this, when he directed this movie, I think he was like 27. He was super young, yes. <laughs> Which is insane, you know? The fact How that he could, he could, right, the fact that he could like run an entire crew of people, like half the age of most of them, I'm sure. And, you know, be under, have that budget and not go over budget. I assume he go over budget. It's he like did he was, go over budget. Oh, did go over budget? He did. Yeah. Oh, we'll get by how much? That. I'm nine million. Wait, then we crossed nine million. How no, he went given? over. I think he went over nine million. Because oh, he went over. To, so he, so it, okay. Yeah, but some other financial. We could. We can fact check that after. But some other financial information. It was the first movie in history to make a hundred million dollars. Like you said, it made almost five hundred million. So like four hundred and seventy-five million or something like that. Yeah. And. Almost 67 million people saw this movie in 1975. Can you imagine so, seeing this movie in the summer and like oh. being like, "I'm not gonna go on the beach anymore. Like, I don't want to go on the water at this point." Like, this was yeah. this. <laughs> and that was a real thing. That 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 was a real thing, which is kind of funny because obviously a lot of the film they're worried about like what the effect of reporting a shark attack will have on Amityville, and and it really the movie Jaws about that had an effect on people wanting to go to the beach and. And everything like that. Um, it, it's 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 says, like you said. It opened in 1975. And another cool thing about this was it originally opened on only 409 screens. Within 78 days, it had become the highest-grossing film of all time. Even then, however, it was still showing at a fewer than a thousand screens. So this is one of the first movies that did kind of like the staged release. And um, in every way, this movie was a. Uh, like a, I don't know. There's a word I'm looking for that met, like not a trendsetter, but it it kind of became the template for for how to how to do things. So financially, and, and more than any more than any of the special showings, the chunkies. Not that that's what this is about, but this one sells out. It's packed. They'll do multiple showings, and so that just goes to show you that this movie's almost 50 years old. 
and it's still you can take a kid who's 10 years old and he'll love it there's it's timeless it's it's perfect so um obviously financially it did very well it was received critically it, it's you know it's great so 8.10 on, on imdb 98 percent on rotten tomato tomatoes academy award winner for best sound best editing best music academy award nominee for best picture you know what it lost to i'm kind of, I'm kind of nervous no it's legit okay. well i mean not for me i would pick jaws but it lost to one flew over the cuckoo's nest Oh, that's so right. at least yes okay yeah at that, least that movie, that movie just sold on the oscars when it came out yeah yeah and it's currently or at least the list i looked at it's it's 48 on the afi top 100 films of all time which i actually think it should be way higher than that but um it's it's yeah i mean we don't have to tell you guys that it's it's a great movie yeah, so yeah. um some other things that were going on in in june of 1975 Back-to-back uh, Nolan Ryan references, because we mentioned him in the last podcast, I think. Ryan records his uh, record-tying fourth no-hitter against Baltimore. John Denver releases Thank God I'm a Country Boy. <laughs> the Milwaukee Bucks trade Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to L.A. Uh, how about this for a concert? I want you to set yourself back in time and imagine, you, imagine being able to say, I was there when this happened. Elton John, the Eagles, and you're going to love this last one, the Beach Boys play Wembley Stadium. Man, you menacing those acts back to back to back. <laughs> right, right. And then uh, Barry White uh, released uh, Can't Get Enough of Your Love, Babe, which is a classic. So some other, I tried to keep it positive this, this month. There was more positive things that I could find in June of 75 than some of the other episodes where it's like, there was an earthquake here and this guy got assassinated and, and you know, whatever. Do you have the uh, the back of the DVD summary? Just to, if there's one person out there that hasn't seen Jaws, we can give them an idea of what it's I, about and then slap them in the face. I do. So it starts off with a little bit of, because uh, it's, it's a newer release. So directed by Academy Award winner Steven Spielberg, Jaws set the standard of EGAC suspense, quickly becoming a cultural phenomenon and forever changing the movie industry, which we just talked about, which is super accurate. When the seaside community of Amity finds itself under attack by a dangerous great white shark, the town's chief of police, a young marine biologist, and a grizzled shark hunter embark on a desperate quest to destroy the beast before it strikes again. Featuring, featuring an unforgettable score that evokes pure terror, Jaws remains one of the most influential and gripping adventures in motion picture history. Yeah, no, and that's that's what you, that last part about it, how it, like the gripping and, and, and the terror and everything like that, that's kind of what I think of when I think of my first memory of it is it's always been around. It's always been on TV. And I remember that this is the only movie that was kind of categorized as a quote unquote scary movie that I enjoyed growing up. Cause we've mentioned before in the podcast, I don't like scary movies. I, I, they're just not my thing, but I, I always liked this movie. I think I, I think I always liked this movie, but I don't think I fell in love with it and really appreciated its, its greatness until I was like either in high school or even maybe a little bit later than that. But, um, yeah, it's 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 perfect. So um, some of the people, I, there's kind of a few people that I want to mention. We're going to talk about the soundtrack after, and you can get into that a little bit. But as far as how people were doing going into this movie. So before we get into the cast, let's talk about Steven Spielberg, director. Um, ever heard of him? Um, so Jaws in 75, Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 77, 
1941 and 79, Raiders of the Lost Ark in 81, E.T. in 82, and so on and so on and so on. This wasn't his first movie. He had a couple of the movies before that, but I think you could say that this launched him into, into mega stardom. And um, it's, I kind of want to, well, we'll get to that later, but so, you know, I don't need to tell you about Steven Spielberg. Robert Shaw, Quint. So there's a couple people in this cast that, that you and I, just because of age and, and where we live, we kind of miss the greatness. We can try to go back and watch and stuff, but Robert Shaw is one of them. So he's English. Uh, and like I said, we missed his career for the most part. The only other things that we might have, or I think we probably could have heard of is uh, he was in From Russia with Love in 63, the original taking of Pelham 123 in 74. And he was in uh, The Sting in 73, which is, that's another big one. So um, he was married three times and had 10 children, two of which were adopted. And he died by heart attack uh, in, at the age of 51 in 1978. Now, when I tell you that he died, in, what, if I were to say he died at the age of 51 and 78, would it, does that make you think anything when I read that? I was like, he looked like he was 67 recording shots. <laughs> yeah, but he, he, he died young at, in 1978 at the age of 51. And I think, and we'll get into this with the kind of behind the scenes facts, but I think he lived a rough 51 years. He liked, uh, he liked to drink a little bit and um, he had a rough life. But... It definitely shows, I feel like, it's just his act. It definitely shows that he was a drinker. You can just kind yeah. of see it. Oh yeah, no. There, the story. There's a um, a documentary about the making of Jaws, which I would totally recommend if you're a, a big fan of the movie. And um, they kind of get into it that, and I think I actually took one of the quotes down. That I, I'll see if it's in my notes later, but that he was a very nice guy when he was sober, but when he was drunk, he was he was a nightmare. So that's Robert Shaw Quint, who, in my opinion, is as far as the cast goes, is the MVP of the movie. Roy Schneider, uh, Brody, um, similar to Shaw, we kind of missed a lot of Schneider's career, um, but he, he did have another, other, some other roles, but this is the, probably the one that most people know him for. And then one Richard Dreyf, what's that? I was going to say, one of my favorites from him, have you ever seen the movie Sorcerer? I don't think I have. Okay, well, I'm definitely going to bring that up at one point. That's, that's, that's gonna Please, be bring, oh, talk, oh, on the podcast? Okay. It's, 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 it's for sure, it's... It's one of his best films, but anyways. okay. When was it made roughly? Like what decade? Oh, it was after The Exorcist. So, because okay. William Friedkin directed The Exorcist, and his next project was Sorcerer. Okay. So it's a, it's kind of like I think what late seventies. Okay. And then uh, lastly, Hooper, uh, Richard Dreyfus. Um, he is he we you and I people our age more familiar with uh, Richard Dreyfus, even though we missed his heyday too, but. Uh, the Graduate in 67, American Graffiti in 73, This in 75, Close Encounters in 77, um, Goodbye Girl in 77 under the Academy Award, um, Stand By Me in, in 86, even though his, his screen time's not huge. He's the, the narrator. And, um, uh, and yeah, so he, he's, um, he's the other one. So there's a million people on the cast that we could get into and uh, like uh, – Lorraine Gary, who played the wife and everything like that, but um, those are the those are the big players, I think. So uh, Spielberg, and then Robert Shaw, who played Quint Schneider, who played Brody, and Dreyfus, who played Hooper. So I guess I'll let you 
Do you have any um, kind of like random facts that you want to go over or no? No, that's not, not really, but I have a kind of, for my first memory, I'll get into a little story. Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah. So if my first memory, all right, when I was in, this is, I, I took a second to like, uh, put an image up on the back of me here. When I was in second grade and I remember the story like it was yesterday, I was reading the book Jaws, all right? I had this old beat up paperback, completely falling apart, had like stains on it and everything, water damage, but I brought it with me everywhere. It was a little above a second grader's reading level for sure, but I, I managed. Since it was the uh, book I was currently reading, I brought it to school and would glance at it whenever I had free time. Well, the book cover had a naked woman swing. Yep. It's a really small image of a woman. You can barely see you know, her body, but my idiot friend made a big deal of it and it got the attention of all the classmates and the teacher and I actually got my book taken away. I might be the only kid who's gotten in trouble for reading a book in school, all right? That's probably the only time Joe's ever gotten in trouble for anything, too. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I, 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 was, I was actually blacklisted to bring that book. I can't, I can't bring this one anymore. It was, I, I was told I couldn't bring that book to school anymore. So I was like, man, like this, this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? The, I heard somewhere that in the book, doesn't, in the book, doesn't um, Hooper end up like hooking up with, you probably wouldn't remember this because you it was a, were like it was a while ago. Now, now, now I'm pretty much like the live off the movie at this point. We don't even look think of the book. But there are a lot of differences in the well, not a lot of major ones. I don't know. I haven't read the book. I should read the book. Um, but I think in the book, Hooper hooks up with Brody's wife. I think. Yeah, I'm talking about some unnecessary tension. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess we kind of, we kind of. I know this is an important thing for you. We kind of glossed over it. Do you want to tell the story about us going to see it at Chunkies? I know this is like, it's kind of the highlight of this podcast for you. I'll just All mute right. my mic and you can just have at it. All right. If, if you want to jump in for any details that I make, you know, if I guess I make you look too bad here, you can just jump in. And... <laughs> okay. okay. So Eric and I go, like we said, Chunkies every single year. And they always have these cool like little events, whether it's raffles or giveaways or whatever. Last year though, we drove, and now now since our local Chunkies is closed, we have to drive like 45 minutes out of the way for us all the way. So it's like a little bit of a drive to get to Chunkies now. Yeah. But um, last year they had, they're giving away like shirts and little cool memorabilia from Jaws. And Eric and I, we just kind of walked past, like, then we, we sat down, like, there's some cool stuff out there. I wonder, you know, what, what do you need to do to get it? And then we were talking and we saw people taking pictures with a person dressed up in a shark costume. And we kind of thought that, people who were taking pictures with that shark would get the free memorabilia. The so, only, the only thing I'll, I'll say is when Joe says a shark costume, we're going to put the, the, the pictures. The pictures yeah. Up. Yeah. We'll put the picture up, but this was not a realistic shark costume. It looked like something you would put like a baby in to dress. Like it was an adult size thing, but it was like a cloth baby. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> it was like this baby blue color. All right. It, it didn't look anything like a shark, but um, Eric was like, it could be a nice phrase. Like, he's like, you want, you want, you want a shirt? I'll go out and see what I can do to uh, get, grab one for you. So Eric goes out fully ready to take a picture of the shark and give me a shirt. Right. While it's, because I think I had already won my shirt the year before. I you think did. that was, it's, I was trying funny. to do a nice thing. Right. And this one you're wearing now actually, which is perfect. Yes. But so Eric was like, you want the shirt? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, so I was sitting in the spot while Eric went out there on his own. And <laughs> Eric comes back. I saw it maybe like five, 10 minutes later. All right. I'm, I'm like, what the hell is he doing out there? Like, I'm, I'm over here singing in the theater by myself. I'm like, it's taking forever at this point. 
Eric walks back to the table with no shirt and sits down, <laughs> just laughing pretty much red at this point. I'm like, what the hell happened? And he shows me a picture of <laughs> that he got taken up him the shark, which might have been a child in the shark costume, right? He's like, Eric's like, this, this big creep at this point. And the, so it was all for nothing. Eric got this picture with the shark, myth of himself, for nothing. It was, and we, it was well, the picture is just... <laughs> just and I think, I think... There's no way to say this where it's like um, politically correct, but I totally got the feeling that they thought I was like, um, like a little bit on the spectrum, you know, whatever the, I'm not trying to be funny. I, I really think that they thought I was. No, I, but between that and like, I'm pretty sure that I've been a child or a teenager in that shark house. Oh like, yeah. It's like a 14 year old. <laughs> it's like, there's an adult woman. Kind of like, yeah, I can only picture like, what the hell are you doing here? Why are you taking yeah. this picture with this kid? Your well, big smile thing, on your face. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the thing too, was it wouldn't have been so weird if there was two of us or three of us. Like, say it was like you and I, it'd be right. like, oh, it's a couple buddies trying to take the picture with the shark. But to just have one at the time, 34 year old, walk up and be like, can I have my picture with the shark? And then you walk away with nothing. So it's just like this. Yep. Oh, God. But yeah, oh well, we'll put the picture up eventually on Instagram. But um, so that was Joe's. Uh, the more you know, random fact. I have a I have a few written down, and and this the first one that I I read this and I love this story. It's not it's not the most um, like important or cool Hollywood or filmmaking story, but several decades after the release of Jaws, Lee Fierro, who played Mrs. Kintner, uh, the the mother of the of the boy that gets eaten uh, by the shark, she walks into a seafood restaurant and noticed that the menu had an Alex Kintner sandwich. That was her son in the movie, the kid that gets eaten. So she commented and she was like, oh my God, that's crazy. I played the mother so many years ago. I was the woman in the movie. The owner of the restaurant ran out to meet her and he was none other than Jeffrey Voorhees who had played her son, Alex Kintner. So they had not seen each other since the original movie shoot. So what are the odds of that? What Isn't that a just a story? Cool... That's awesome. Right. So I have, a, I have some other stuff that's more um, like behind the scenes filmmaking stuff. But when I read that story, I was like, that is the coolest run in I think I've ever heard. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then this one's kind of a minor one too. Uh, according to Spielberg, the, in the um, beginning of the movie, when they find the girl, uh, the remains of the girl, um, the prop arm that they were going to use looked too fake in the scene. So they buried a female crew member in the sand with only her arm exposed. I assume they gave her some breathing room and everything like that, but I thought that was a, a kind of a cool story, story too. So now let's get into some of the more, some of it's darker, some of it's uh, more, you know, Hollywood stuff. So though respected as an actor, Robert Shaw, so we're talking Quint again, and we had mentioned this is a man that died at 51, and we said he had a rough 51 years. So though respected as an actor, Robert Shaw's trouble with alcohol was a frequent source of tension during filming. In later interviews, Roy Schneider, so Brody, uh, described his co-star, this is what I was talking about, he described his co-star as, quote, a perfect gentleman whenever he was sober. All he needed was one drink, and then he turned into a competitive son of a bitch. Um, According to Carl Gottlieb's book, The Jaws Log, Shaw was having a drink between takes 
at which point, uh, at one point he announced, I wish I could quit drinking. And much to the surprise of the crew, Richard Dreyfus grabbed Shaw's glass and tossed it into the ocean. So uh, there's also, I didn't write it down, but there's also, I think it was Dreyfus where he was trying to convince Dreyfus to try to jump off the, um, what's the, what's, is it the, the center mass? I, I know there's probably like a nautical, like, correct term but he was trying to convince dreyfus to try to climb all the way up to the center mass and jump off into the ocean so he was he was uh not stable and shaw and dreyfus couldn't stand each other on set and they argued the entire time which was probably uncomfortable to be on set but i think that in the for the film it worked because the tension between hooper and quint felt felt pretty real kind of kind of because it was real i actually talk about that later on in my things the tension yeah, yeah the tension's so good i thought but i'll explain that explains why yeah they they were not fans of each other so i wonder, how, shot, he, I wonder how he felt after his drink was tossed off the deck like under like his reaction towards that if he was like not great if he was grateful that he was trying to maybe help him or if he was just pissed off that he got rid of his drink i bet you he was pissed because if he didn't like Dreyfus anyway, I think that's one of those things where if your friend does it, if someone that you respect does it, you're like, all right, like, you know, so-and-so is looking out for me. I might be mad right now, but I get it, you know. But if this guy that you've been arguing with for the entire filming does it, you're like, who are you to judge me? And um, the other thing that Shaw had besides a drinking problem was he ran into the trouble, ran into trouble with the IRS, and he actually had to flee the country once his scenes were completed. Um, if he spent more than, I don't know what the time limit was, but if he spent more than a certain amount of time in the U.S., like consecutive days or whatever, he would face a tax liability. So to circumvent that, Shaw was flown to Canada on his days off. So that gives you an idea of how kind of on the edge he was. What a liability that actor, that was of an act. Like, I'm grateful, thankfully, they all walked up because I can't picture when I was being that role, but man, exactly. like, what, a, what a chance, what a risk. Exactly. It, it, it's like... I, exactly what you just said. It's Spielberg. There must have been days where he was like, "Why did I pick this guy?" Like I, I'm having to do all this stuff. But then when you see the finished product and the final result, you're like, "I would fly that guy to Canada twice a day for to get this movie." So um, <clears throat> probably some of the more well-known behind-the-scenes troubles. You know, even I think if you know even a little bit about the movie, you know that they had a lot of problem with the mechanical shark. So. Spielberg named the shark Bruce after his lawyer. Uh, he also called it uh, the great white turd once it started to, to have some issues. And, and he became pretty frustrated with it. When the shark was built, it was, the, I read that this is a common misconception. Some people say it was never tested in water. And I read that and I was like, how do you not test? Because uh, so, some people say it was never tested in water. So they put it in water and it started having all these problems. And I guess what the actual problem was is that it wasn't tested in salt water. So once they put it in salt water, it was having, uh, having, uh, having some issues and it sank right to the bottom of the floor at, at Martha's Vineyard. So they had to get a team of divers to retrieve it. Um, but really all you need to take from the problems that they had with the shark is Spielberg being Spielberg. He took that bad news and, and the, and the bad bounce and he turned it into one of the greatest films of all time because it was initially supposed to have, there was supposed to be a lot, the shark was supposed to be a, a pretty active cast member. And when the, when it broke, you kind of 
got this thing where you didn't see the shark or you see just a, a, a second of the shark and it built the fear. It was like a slow build, a slow build, a slow build. And I think now Spielberg would be the first person to tell you that it was the greatest thing that ever happened to him. With, without a doubt. And it looks better than it would have CGI. Like it looks so good in 2020. That shark looks so real. And if it was CGI, it wouldn't have aged well. It would have, it would have kind of taken away from the movie a little bit. It all worked out for the best. It's the, it's the, it's the total like less is more um, situation. It, it's, it's exactly what we said. It's, you're so, you're so afraid. It's kind of like on the last episode, we didn't review this movie, but we brought up Dunkirk and the whole, not that Dunkirk is Jaws. I'm not saying that, but the, the constant fear of something that might be coming is way more powerful than, than, you know, just hammer beating someone over the head with like violence and, and whatever. So yeah, it worked out for the better. And, and I think it became, I mean, you went to film school, Jaws, Jaws from what I've heard is a film that most schools are like, this is the textbook for how to do A, B, and C. Yep. Yeah. And like the switch within after the first hour, you'll notice like it's all kind of calm and it's very, you have these the characters, you have Brody, and everyone's kind of being introduced, and you learn about these characters. And then at the halfway point, his son's in danger, and that's when the uh, flip of the switch happens, where they kind of start taking action, and it pushes the story a little bit. So, like, that, that's a perfect example of flipping the switch halfway through. And I'm so glad you just mentioned his son, because uh, one of the scenes that I, I noticed last or two nights ago when I was rewatching it that I think resonates with, I mean, I don't have kids, but this is like Spielberg in all his glory is the scene where um, Brody is just defeated. Like everything's going wrong. He's sitting at his table and his kid makes a funny face. And then he, he, he tells his kid like, give me a hug or give me a kiss or something. And his kid's like, why? And he's like, cause I need it. And he, he just drops those little, moments in the film to to kind of humanize people and to to show you a different side of them because up until now all you see is brody he's running around he's too busy he's stressed out he's you know he doesn't even have time for his wife his wife's trying to you know make moves on him he doesn't have time for it and then that moment it's just like he's so human and he's not perfect he's not invincible i love the idea of fighting a losing battle with the mayor yeah it's like it's kind of like what we're going through right now (laughs) in the real world it's like except it's yeah. not a mayor it's a little bit more but it's just it's it's funny seeing this movie being memed to hell right now because it's so relevant in our in our time it's so relevant and and, and like yeah like you said like when do you the mayor the mayor cares about one thing and, and brody's doing what he thinks is the right thing and trying to keep people safe and yeah it's it's all too relevant all yeah. too relevant right now and um yeah that's tough um the last two random facts I have are, or last a little bit, is the first laser disc in '78, and then yeah, Joe I have, I, I have, I have that. I have the uh, laser disc, yeah. So, and then how's this for a stat? ABC aired it on TV in '79, and it attracted 57 percent of the total TV audience. So. Now, I know that in 79, they probably had like three channels. It was probably like ABC, NBC, and CBS or something. But still, that's that's insane. And, the, and I think the average Super Bowl gets around like 30 or 40% of the TV audience. So 
that kind of puts that in perspective. So that's all I have. You can, um, I would recommend that documentary. I'll, I'm going to Google it here in a second and try to give you the exact, if, um, if you're, if you're a huge Jaws fan, I would recommend this documentary, but you can read for hours on, on, um, on this film and all the cool stuff that went on behind the scenes and everything like that and reasons things happen. So it's, I think it's called uh, the making of Steven Spielberg's Jaws. It came out in 95. So you should be able to find it somewhere, but I would highly recommend it. Um, do you have anything written down for stuff that wouldn't fly in this millennium? I just put this movie wouldn't be PG. It wouldn't be rated PG in 2020, but That's exactly nothing, what I wrote, but there's nothing that would offend anyone. So it'd probably be PG 13 and that'd be it. Yes, I wrote, I quote, I wrote, just the PG rating, nudity, kids being eaten, Quinn being eaten, PG. But no, I agree with you. I, I, um, and I think that that's, that, like we were just saying about Spielberg, this movie's not that violent. And, and, and I think that's why I don't like the cut em up horror movies, because this is like the, it's proof that you don't need to, have all this blood and guts to be this movie's terrifying like especially the first time you see it it's it's scary as hell so no i i agree with you so favorite scene what do you have right. written down okay so i'm gonna sound like a broken record after coming off of back to the future episode but this movie has so many great scenes uh it's hard, it's hard to choose the scene that shows the scenes that show uh character development in the first half are all excellent and the scenes that with them fighting the shark in the second half are great but one thing that it, that I just love is a scene that slows everything down and brings a smile to my face. It's when they're in the boat sharing their battle scar stories together. The Indianapolis up, scene. Yeah, yeah. Up until this point, we've had a lot of friction between Quint and Hooper. While Chief Ray was just kind of, just kind of like stuck in the middle of it. Uh, but this is the scene right before Quint's death, unfortunately, that we see them all bonding and enjoying their time together and laughing and singing songs. And it's just like a really, after all the, the exhausting scenes before this, it's just a nice change of pace for a brief three minutes. And it's, I love that moment. That is, that is, I think, I have one other scene written down that I'm going to talk about here in a second. But that scene, I think, specifically um, Quince talking about the Indianapolis, I think if I were to make a list of my top, of the top five greatest scenes in film history, I think that would be on there. Um, and a fun fact about that is when it came time to shoot that, Shaw, so Quint, attempted to do the monologue. He was completely shit-faced um, and it, it, because it called for the men to be drinking. So he was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it drunk and it's going to be the, you know, the way it works. And they couldn't even use it. He was so mumbling and, and you know, he was slurring his speech and couldn't remember his words or whatever. So he went back to Spielberg uh, later that night, totally remorseful, apologizing, and asked if they could have another try. The next day of shooting, Shaw's, the, the, the performance that you see was in one take. So That's awesome. It is awesome. So It sucks. You, like, I'm sure you didn't want to be that way either. It's just, it just sucks. No, and the guy, the guy had issues. He, right. But seeing this, so he died at, at 51 and what did I say, like 77 or something like that, it makes me bumped out that he died. I mean, I, I'm not happy that anyone died, but he was so right. Good. It'd, be, it'd, be really, it'd be great to see what would come next for, on, oh, his, on his so career. Good. Yeah, so I had that scene written down, so we can. So that was one of my two. And the other scene that I love is the intro to, uh, to Quint in the town meeting where he scratches the chalkboard 
And then he gives that speech. He says, y'all know me. You know how I earn a living. I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't going to be easy. It's a bad fish. Not going down like, not like going down to the pond chasing bluegills and tommycods. This shark, this shark will swallow you whole. A little shaken, a little tenderizing, and down you go. And you, you just instantly understand the character. It may be the greatest character introduction of all time. You not only understand him, but you understand his place in the community. Like, because Amity is this, you know, it's like, it's the Cape. It's, it's, and the Cape has gotten more rich since this time, but it's a lot of people that are vacationing and they're relaxed. And then you have this contrast with kind of a blue collar fishing, fishing guy. Um, and that scene is that even I've seen this movie probably 50 times. And still, when I see that scene, it stops me in my tracks every time. Like I know it's coming and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's great. And then the other thing I love about the scene that you brought up, the Indianapolis scene is his history explains the crazy a little bit and you understand why he's out there killing as many sharks as possible because of what he went through and, and everything like that. So yeah. no, I think we're on the same page. I, and uh, actually I was going to ask it at the end, but who do you think if you were to kind of a new question for the podcast, if you were to, it can be the writer, it can be, it can be Spielberg. It can be um, anyone, an actor, a screenwriter, who would you say is the, the like the MVP of the movie? Spielberg. I agree. Because the the writer the writers obviously I I would usually say the writers, but it was based off a book, so they had material and they just kind of adapted it. But Spielberg, he we saw the budget nine million dollar budget. We saw we had to go through all the controversy and troubles on on the set with actors with the mechanical shark, and he just completely always adapted to the problem and came up with a resolution to fix that problem without Spielberg. This movie might have, might have been made, but it wouldn't have been the way Jaws is now. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, I think in any other move, any other situation, you, if you ask me that question, I would say Robert Shaw playing Quint. He's because on screen, he's by far the, the, the MVP, the, you know, my favorite part. But to see what Spielberg did with everything breaking around him, and at the at the age he was at, and um, he 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 didn't have his resume and his reputation to to lean on at this time. You know, right now, if Spielberg has any had any technical problems, he could go to any studio and say, "I need another five million dollars," and they'd say, "I'll give you 10. Um, or if he was having a problem with an actor, he could just kick him off and get a new one. Um, but this is a 20 in his late, mid to late twenties, Steven Spielberg, who no one knows who he is. So to, to come up with what he did is complete. It's insanity. So um, as far as soundtrack, this is usually your, your yes. spot. So what do you got? I do want to say though, I do really think I, I love Roy Scheider. Yep. It's so good. I think he's, I, he's such an awesome actor. And I remember reading at one point, I don't know if this is true because I looked this up before this, but wasn't this role almost cast as someone else before him? Like, didn't he, or was he, oh, am I thinking of Sorcerer? It was either between no. us or Sorcerer that he almost didn't get the part, but he was kind of like a last-minute casting choice. I don't know if he was a last-minute casting choice, but one name, and I almost brought this up, so I'm glad you did. One name that I heard was tied to it at one point was Michael Douglas. And I think Michael Douglas is a great actor, or a good actor. But I don't think, and I, and I think Roy Schneider, Roy Scheider, sorry, is a, 
pretty good actor. Like, I don't think he's the greatest actor of all time, but I think this is just everyone from, from Brody to Hooper to Quint. I can't, now that I've seen it and I've fallen in love with it, I, I can't imagine. I think, I think Brody or Roy Scheider is just so relatable. Like he, he is. And that's why I love him in all of his movies. He's like, even it's like a source or whatever. He has like that normal guy lifestyle. He's like Harrison Ford. We talked about Harrison Ford in the past. He has that same, like he's relatable in a way where he's not like this super, he's not like this actionary. He's not, you know, he's, he's a typical yeah. guy. I think I agree with you. I think uh, Scheider's more relatable than Harrison Ford because he's not so good looking. He's a good, he's a fine looking dude, but he just, Harrison Ford looks like the most like all American looking guy ever. But I, and I don't think he's as, as talented as Harrison Ford, no, but, I, but that's what I like about him. Yeah. So did, did you also know, fun fact, uh, you're going to need a bigger boat was ad libbed by him. I did. I didn't know that until I was reading the, yeah. that And, and what I was going to put about, that as a fun fact, but it's, no. it's, it's that line is still probably the most recognizable line from the movie. <laughs> it's like, yes. That is the line. It was, it wasn't even written in the script. It was ad libbed, which is so cool. Yeah, no, it's it's and he and he's great in this movie. I, if you, I mean, I could never put myself in a position to be casting this without seeing, without having seen the movie, especially in the early '70s when I don't even recognize, I don't even know most of these people really. Um, but these, I probably would have picked three entirely different people, and it would have been horrible. This is like, it's kind of weird choices. It looks like weird choices. But it's it's why Steven Spielberg is Steven Spielberg, and I'm and I'm not. So just perfect. So um, soundtrack, yes, soundtrack. So remember when I said the soundtrack for Back to the Future last episode is one of the best of all time? Well, yeah. so is this. John Williams. Yeah, Jaws is like hold my beer. Right, like John Williams crafted one of the most memorable and haunting soundtracks in film. We all know the theme. As a kid, I would hum the theme when I was just swimming with my friends. It's just like this score is amazing from start to finish, and. The simple, the the theme is so simple, but it's so like the DVD cover said, it's so haunting. The build up to it, the tension, so good. And we uh, know the theme, but we love this movie. Find find a an there's there are like little kids out out there right now that have never even seen this movie, and they know the theme. Yes, and I talk about Mondo a lot lately, but they put out a lot of soundtracks of classic and cult favorite films. But Jaws is another one that was just repressed through them. It's super cool. It's uh, for you vinyl collectors out there. It's a really cool blue record with a blood splat in the middle to make to represent the blood of the ocean. And from what I heard, the sounds great on vinyl. So it's it's limited. So if you wanted it, you should pick it up quick. Yeah, move. But now the, son- the soundtrack's perfect. I have uh, two fun facts that I uh, kind of pushed out of the normal spot because they were soundtrack related. So. When composer John Williams originally played the score for Steven Spielberg, Spielberg laughed and said, that's funny, John, really, but what did you really have in mind for the theme? And Spielberg later stated that without Williams' score, the movie would have only been half as successful. And according to Williams, it jump-started his career. So, Definitely, so- because before this, his first one was in 57, but he didn't make anything big until just 75. Jaws is the thing that got him recognizable and it was so late into his career which is kind of yep. cool so like the world discovered john williams at an adult age and another cool story is composer john williams conducted the orchestra during the 76 academy awards so when it was announced that he won 
the Oscar for best score. He had to run up to the podium to accept his Oscar and then run back to continue conducting the orchestra. So who, who, who arranged that? I have no idea. Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea. But I think the Academy Awards and the Oscars were a different thing back then. I, I get the feeling it was. Oh, I'm sure it was. So um, this is a tough one. If you could change one thing, what would you change? Well, I, I put something I put for Back to the Future. I put not a thing. This movie spends, like I said, the first hour or so showing you these characters, who they are, and their, weak, their weaknesses. We learn, you know, we learn that Chief Brody is scared of drowning and scared of the water. We learn that um, both Quint and um, Hooper, uh, both Quint and Hooper, they, their ego is just always in a way in clash with each other. And this is all super important. Like people might think it's a little slow in the beginning, but you can't take any of that out. It's all there for a reason. And then the second half is the payoff. Yeah, no, I agree. Joe and I, before we started recording, I said, I was like, how amazing is that movie? Like I, and you know, I watch it at least once a year, usually probably twice a year, similar to what Joe said. And I remember I go into it thinking this is going to be an unbelievable couple of hours and then every time it's better. Um, so I, w- I wouldn't change anything. And this is the first one. Like I was with Back to the Future, I picked out some stupid little thing that I was like, oh, you know, I'd, it would be nice to have like a little bit, get to know the brothers, brother and sister a little bit more. And that was kind of BS. And so I'm not going to come up with BS for this one. I think this is, as cl- if there's a perfect film, this is it. So um, all that said, I think we probably gave away our scores already, but um, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know we rate films on a scale of one to five, whether or not, uh, or would you be, would you mind paying a late fee to keep this movie? So one is, you know, it's trash. You're going to rent the movie, watch 20 minutes of it, drop it off the same night because you don't want to pay a late fee on it. You just want to be done with it all the way up to a five. Um, maybe you want to keep the movie a couple extra days. Maybe even just want to keep the movie forever and buy the movie, uh, buy the, the film from the, the video rental store. So, um, it's Joe's pick. So do I go first? Okay. I go first. So like I said, we kind of gave it away, but everything you can ask for in a movie, it's funny. It's scary. It's exciting. It's timeless. It doesn't age at all. The casting is perfect. The screenplay is perfect. The music's perfect. This is in my top 10 favorite films of all time. And it may be in my opinion, the best film of all time. It, it, the quintessential summer film, summer blockbuster film, um, and I want to be clear, I, I, like I said last week, that uh, Back to the Future was my favorite movie of all time, and it still is. But as far as, and Back to the Future is also a great, great movie. But this, I think, is as close to perfect as the film can be. So it's a five. If I could give it a six, I'd give it a six. Joe? Can you imagine anyone giving this movie like a three or below? Like being like, oh, this, is, this, is, this isn't worth the late fee. This is. <laughs> Unfortunately, I could. <laughs> okay. Because some people's opinions are just, I know that, I don't know. But I, 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 I get it. everyone has their own opinion, but I feel like this is a universally. Some are trash. Right, this is, <laughs> so uh, what you just said, every, it has, it has everything. It has all, it has every genre spliced into one. And this is become a, this has become a teaching tool for schools. We, we went over this in school, both script and film. We picked out the act separations and it's so easy to pick out because it's so, it follows it so well. And we talk about the things that Spielberg had to overcome on set, the, the, all the challenges, the things he had to deal with between technical issues and issues with the actors. And it's, it is timeless. 
it's a five. Obviously a five. Everything about it is perfect. And one other thing that I wanted to say about it, and I don't mean this as a knock on any other film, but when you look at, if you look at most lists for the, what are the greatest films of all time, you're going to see Citizen Kane, you're going to see uh, Casablanca and Gone with Shawshank the Wind and all them, yeah. And Lawrence of Arabia and all that stuff on the waterfront. Try to get a kid who's 18 years old to watch any of those movies. Most kids, right? They have no time for it. This film isn't in the top 10. I think it's in the top 50 of the AFI list. But what's insane, and it's a compliment to the, to the film, is that you could take a kid who's 16 years old right now, sit him down, and if he's never seen it before, he'll be glued to the TV or glued to the, the, the theater screen. So um, I think it sh- I, that's why I think it should get more credit. I think sometimes Hollywood and, and film critics get kind of obsessed with the old Hollywood and films from the forties and fifties and sixties. And I think you just need to say like, sometimes you need to say that just because those movies have been, they were originally ahead of jaws or ahead of other movies. You need to like shake it, shake it up a little bit every once in a while and, and really step back and look at, at a, at a film for how it, for, for what it really is. Not that, I mean, this, everyone thinks this is one of the greatest of all time, but I honestly think it should be thought of, Oh no, definitely. Like, we appreciate those old films like Citizens Kane and all these great old classics, but films have done them better now. So like it's right. it's to the point like yes, the step this the stepping stone for these other great films, but these other great films are have become better than these older films. Hundred percent. Kind of like it's 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 complicated because like you said, people are stuck with the old Hollywood and like Sunset Boulevard and all these great classics, but it's unfortunately the Academy is run by a bunch of eight year old people and seven year old people, so it's kind of like. <laughs> It's like it's not progressing at all anytime soon, which is a shame. But it's like it's like they're all they're all everyone's into it's like it's thought of in in with with like high critics as like if you don't appreciate if you think Jaws is better than Gone with the Wind, you just don't understand. It's like no, I think I do understand, and I might just think it's better than. And this, I just threw out Gone with the Wind. I'm, it's not any movie in particular, but. Um, well, like, I want the one is very much okay. Like that movie, like that movie is not lived up. It's like four hours long. It has some great lines in it, but it's not a film that's talked about in schools, for example, or the blueprint for a good script. They they can't all dwell on these old films while these new great films are being made. And those films, you know, they were the foundation, and exactly they they paved the way. So that's awesome. Right. But it's it's kind of similar to like baseball. If you if you if you say like who's the greatest baseball player of all time, if you say Babe Ruth, I think you're crazy because Babe Ruth was like a fat, like no, no. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but he Babe Ruth was the greatest of of his era. But I could probably strike out Babe Ruth, and I suck. You know. Right. No. Same thing with technology. I don't want to go too. Like, I don't want to get too far in this, but like it's true. Like. The same way technology progresses, we went from, you know, VHS to DVD to Blu-ray to 4K Blu-ray. So it's, we have our stepping stones for everything from technology to sports, the same way we do for movies. No, I agree. So um, the beer, real quick, how was the beer? How's Narragansett? I pretty much finished it, which is, a, that means it's good. I, I never finished beer, guys. So the fact yeah. that I pretty much finished it is this good sign. <laughs> so I... I'll be honest. I never really drank Narragansett until we started going to Chunkies for Jaws. 
Um, and then I, st- the first time I had it, I had it cause I was like, Oh, I'm supposed to have it. It's like the crush it, like uh crush it, like Quinn thing. And I think Narragansett is a great, like it's a very good summer beer. It's way better than I thought it was going to be. And it was great tonight. So loved watching the movie and, and, and enjoying Narragansett. Coming um, from someone who doesn't know anything about beer, is it bad that I say it's not, it tastes kind of like Bud Light or Budweiser? Budweiser yes. more than anything else? Yes, it tastes a little bit like Budweiser, is it? Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a little way bit better like Budweiser. Budweiser but. Way better than Budweiser. But um, it's part of that's probably like nostalgia and stuff for me. But um, <laughs> So in closing, the past couple of weeks we've mentioned that you could suggest films to us, but then pretty much – shut you down right away and said that because we had these last two pegged that we were going to do back to the future and then we were going to do jaws so now that we're finishing up jaws it's my pick next but if you have a movie that you'd rather you, you want us to do a, or a beer you'd rather us drink email uh, message us on instagram uh worth a late fee and you'll jump to the front of the line um we do want the movies to be 80s or 90s and or, or 70s if you want to do a 70s movie fine but we're trying to avoid um, like newer movies, at least for a, a while, because there's so many great movies in the 80s or 90s. So like I said, worth the late fee on Instagram, send us a message or a comment or whatever, and we'll, we'll bump you to the front of the line. If not, <clears throat> my pick is the next pick. So after Back to the Future and Jaws, we kind of talked about how we had to step it down a notch or, or five. As much as I'd love to review perfect movies every week, we'd run out of films pretty quick and it, it also gets boring just hearing us talk every week about how this movie has no flaws and whatever. So it's just not interesting. Um, and I, I like to alternate between the eighties and nineties. My last film was an eighties film back to the future. So it's back to the nineties. I had a couple sports movies that I was going to pick between. And then I decided the baseball's coming back. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go in the baseball direction. And then before we started recording, Joe doesn't know what I'm going to pick, but I asked him, uh, guys or girls and he said he said oh you know what girls and i said and so because of that um next it's a film that i i remember really liking it's been a long time since i've watched it start to finish but we're going to be doing league of their own so the the tom hanks i don't want to say classic but it's it's kind of a classic it's it's a, it's a good movie so uh baseball is coming back hopefully and we're going to be reviewing a league of their own it'll be our second baseball movie behind rookie of the year it's, better, and it's, gonna, go, be, it's gonna be better than rookie of the year yeah so i think it's just i think it's a safe bet on that on yeah that front so yes i agree with that so yeah thank you guys very much for listening uh, i hope you enjoyed it uh it's a great film and we love talking about it so thank you guys so much for listening and joe you have anything nope that's it thanks as always all right guys have a good night